This presentation has been previously broadcast. The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. I have never seen the enthusiasm wow. of the pro-life movement like I've seen this year. It's like we have prayed and fasted for years for this moment, and yeah. we're so hopeful and positive that Roe will be overturned. And it's so ironic. It's happening under the most radical pro-abortion administration we've had in the history of the United States. And yet we're at this moment because the courts matter. Oh, so much. And yet at the end of the day, our goal is to make abortion unthinkable. So to change hearts and minds. I mean, right. really. So the courts matter. The hearts and minds are upstream of the courts. And so we work for that day. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back and good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew, taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Today was the March for Life, and Relevant Radio engineer extraordinaire and correspondent Matt Beardsley is going to be live with us in just a moment from Washington, D.C., uh, and, and as the March for Life comes for uh, comes to a close, and of course, you know these are these we're gonna we're gonna work around this to, uh, as soon as Matt is available. However, I mean I think that this is an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary event even within the March for Life history. This is after all we are on the cusp of seeing whether or not a Supreme Court will actually overturn Roe on a direct challenge. First time in 30 years that they've had the opportunity. The last opportunity was Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was I believe 1991, so 31 years ago. Um, we are probably not going to find that out until June. My guess is that that will be the last decision handed down by the Supreme Court um, as they are about ready to get on a plane to go almost anywhere else other than Washington, D.C. When, uh, when that decision comes down. I would imagine that it's probably going to be 6-3. We saw a, uh, last night we saw another uh, punt from the Supreme Court on the Texas abortion law, uh, SB-8. And, of course, uh, that is the one that allows people to sue uh, abortion providers, regardless whether or not they're involved in, in the case or not. That uh, It resets standing so that anybody who lives in Texas uh, can, uh, can, can file a lawsuit. That is uh, one of the uh, – that's certainly one of the percolating issues. It's probably more of a side note, though to Dobbs, uh, which is the the case that the Supreme Court heard arguments on, well, I believe it was two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, it was two weeks ago today that they heard they heard the arguments on Dobbs. And that is that is really the whole ballgame. And the reason why is because if they decide to overturn Roe, then that means that states can regulate abortion as they see fit as, uh, as, as, as civil, as regulatory, as, as criminal matters. And so Texas will just simply go back, rewrite that law as, so as uh, to allow the state itself to enforce it and end this, um, what, what uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor called bounty hunting uh, on the part of Texas private citizens is, in a way to keep abortionists from reopening their, their facilities. Um, because the, the, Monetary liabilities are so, so, so large. And uh, so I think the punt that you saw from the Supreme Court yesterday is probably just a recognition of the fact that the decision is going to come down to Dobbs. If they, if, they over, if they overturn the Mississippi law and uphold Roe, then the Texas law is going to fall. If they, 
if they overturn Roe and uphold the Mississippi law, Texas will simply redo it, redo SB8. They'll, they'll get rid of SB8 and regulate, regulate abortion directly. Uh, right now, I believe we have Matt Beardsley on the line from the March for Life. Matt, welcome back. Ed, how are you? Thanks. It's uh, How's everything going? Hey, it's going great. Uh, I, I I wish I was out there with you. Uh, was uh, how was the March for Life? Is it still going on right now, or is it wrapping up? The march itself is really starting to wrap up. It, it was an amazing day, and you know what? There was a lot more people here than I thought it would be. You know, we were on a trend. We were going up and up uh, the last couple of years, 200, 300, 400, and then 2020, we had over 500,000 people here because it was the first time a sitting president addressed the March for Life in person, and this particular president was very supportive of the uh, of the life movement, and he he put his money where his mouth was when it came to when it came to legislation and everything. Right. Um, and you know, of course, we did, we had did not have the march last year, uh, at least in its normal form. So we weren't really sure what to expect this time around because there's a lot of uh, a lot of restrictions in D.C. right now. But there was easily over two hundred thousand people there. I have not seen the estimates yet, but just eyeballing it uh, at the mall, I could tell there was at least two hundred thousand people there. And it's this, you know, Ed. I, and I've mentioned this to you before in the past. Uh, you know, it's it's a sad reason. It's a it's a morose reason that we're here, but right. it's such a celebration of life. And you know, there's so much joy that you see in everybody, especially the kids. Well, Matt, I mean, this year might be a little less morose, right? I mean, I, I would imagine that uh, after having heard the Supreme Court oral arguments on Dobbs, and this again, I think was two weeks ago when that took place. My guess is that there's probably a lot more optimism that there's going to be actual significant change in the status of Roe coming in the next few months. Is that the feeling that you got talking to people at the March for Life today? Yeah, the first first one to bring it up, I talked to uh, Senator Rick Santorum from Pennsylvania this morning, and uh, he mentioned it. He beat me to the punch. He said, this may be the last March for Life, you know, as we know it. And then he brought up the very important fact. He brought up that it will be... If you know if if this happens uh, in the summertime with the uh, Supreme Court, um, it will be the last March for Life of its kind. But now it's time to take it to the state level because immediately there's going to be actions at the state level where something's legal or maybe it's not legal all of a sudden. And so the fight is not over yet. It's far from over, but it's a celebration of life, and we need to be happy because good things are happening. I mean, there was talk in back in November. It's like, gee, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned before the March this time around. Well, now a lot of people are saying are we going to have a march next year i mean we will you know but right. are we going to have a march under the under is it going to be a post row march you know you know that i saw lots of signs today it was so cool these signs that say uh you know the pro-life generation these young kids are holding signs saying i am the post row generation interesting and, and very yeah. well maybe true we're talking with matt beardsley of relevant radio here who's out uh, as our correspondent to the march for life and look i mean i think that there's still going to be a march uh, there's still going to be a march for life every year because yeah. it's 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 there you already mentioned one thing it's going to be we're, it's going to be going to the states but you still even with that you're still going to want to have sort of a national rally point every year and uh and i don't know maybe Maybe what they do the next time out is instead of doing it on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe in, in June, as we're hoping and as we the time frame that we expect to see that decision, maybe, maybe, yeah, you, you start doing this in the summer, which is at least somewhat better in Washington, D.C. Yeah, than yeah, January. You know, maybe not great, but still somewhat better than Washington, Washington yeah, D.C. Off January. the air. 
a, co- a couple days ago off the air, John Morales and I were having a discussion about that, and we both brought that up. You know, this could be the last mar- march like this. And John said, you know, there's, there would be no reason to really have it in January anymore because historically they had it for years on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, but then they started doing it on this Friday every year because it turned out that, the, you know, the turnout was so much better on a Friday. So for right. the last few years, it's been on a Friday. But now there's not really a reason if, you know, if things go the way they should, uh, there won't be a reason that it has to be done in January and even more of a reason, you know, that we could have a celebration in June. And you're right, you know, it's so there's a lot of possibilities here. And the the thing about it is, um, it's all positive. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling right now thinking, wow, all this work that's been done. I mean, Nellie Gray, when she started this thing almost 50 years ago, hope I think maybe she hoped that she'd only have to do a few of them to be heard. But man, we're almost 50 of these. And people are being heard. People are being heard, and this was, I believe, the 49th um, edition yes. of the March for Life. And, it, you know, again, last year's was virtual but uh, because of the pandemic. But, uh, but this is the 49th um, edition of this. And, and I think that um, you're going to see more and more of these move into the states as well, duplicating, not, not, not replacing. And we're already seeing this. I mean, there's, there's a March for Life in San Francisco, which is really taking it to the uh, heart of the opposition. Um, and they do that every year. And that is an amazing uh, event that they, that they have been managed to keep up. Those are the types of things I think that you're going to see because it's suddenly going to be relevant in the states. Uh, the, uh, Absolutely, and that's that's exactly what um, what exactly what Senator Santorum was trying to emphasize this morning that we need to take it to the state now because this is where the fight's going to be, and he said it's going to be that much more important for people to, you know, it's great for people to show up here, but it's going to be that much more important now and vital to this movement for people to show up and represent at their state marches when and if that well, hopefully, you know, when that happens. Well, I also think that there's going to be a federal component to this because I think what you're going to find is that when it, once it gets kicked back to the legislatures, uh, you're going to have some people who are going to try to legislate this in one direction or another, maybe in both directions mm, at the same time at Congress in Congress. So you're still going to have a need for uh, that sort of public uh, demonstration, public pressure on Congress to act responsibly towards uh, the preservation of human life and, and the recognition of, this, of its sacramental nature. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, these are the types of things that uh, we're, uh, these are good, these are, are good conundrums to be facing. And, and all of this, of course, yeah. is predicated on the idea that the Supreme Court is actually going to overturn Roe. We don't know that. Uh, but did you get any, I mean, I'm just kind of curious, was anybody sort of saying, uh, don't count, don't count our chickens until they hatch, you know, or, or expressing any sort of pessimism on that point? Or was it really just all optimism and, and everybody's pretty sure which direction this is going to go? It was mostly optimism, but um, it was it wasn't a full sense of humility. I think that. Uh, you know, like, like I said, some of these big names, Father Mike Schmitz, Rick Santorum, Abby Johnson, and even Jeannie Mancini was saying earlier, um, they didn't say don't count your chicks before they hatch, but they're like, it's, it's, you know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And it wasn't this false, like, let's not jinx it. It was a very sincere, now is definitely not the time to give up. But that's, right. you, you know, it's like, I guess running a marathon, you know, it's like you're, you're running or you're, you're almost there and you give it the, you get that final, give everything you give your all at that last push to go over the line you know because go my goodness you don't want to stop we don't want to stop on the on the wrong side of the line we want to be over and so now more than ever is the time to stand up and represent 
Uh, what else? Are, are there any other events uh, going on at the March for Life right now? Or are, have all the public events pretty much wrapped up and people are, are just more or less going through the, 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 social, um, the social engagements here at the end? Yeah, well, yeah, of course, the uh, the uh, Rose Dinner will be taking place tonight. Father Mike Schmitz is going to be the keynote speaker at that. And um, I don't remember if Students for Life had a big convention a couple of years ago. I don't remember if they're having it again this year. You know, and again, a lot of things are different with the logistics in D.C. Things are shut down. As a matter of fact, our sponsors of Fast for Life, uh, Solidarity Health Share, they actually had to move the venue from Washington, D.C. into Pentagon City last night because of some of the restrictions with uh, with vaccination requirements and everything so a lot of stuff took place last night there were a lot of different organizations having kind of pre-parties or or pre you know get-togethers or prayer vigils and then of course the uh the prayer vigil for prayer excuse me prayer vigil for life took place at 5 30 p.m last night at the basilica i need to follow up and find out how many people are there because you know that, that building seats about 3600 people and usually ed on a normal um, march for life you know night before uh, that place has got over 6,000 people in it, 300 priests and bishops celebrating mass and celebrating, and then over 6,000 people there. And um, Jackie Hayes, who's the communications director there, I spoke to her yesterday, and she said that um, they weren't sure, but they were they were being hopeful. And so they went ahead and they said they planned for pre-COVID crowds. And so I need to follow up and find out how many people actually showed up. I was told yesterday that somebody went in and it was it was completely packed. Um, and that's you know, that's great to know if pe- people are showing up for prayer. Um, things are going in the right direction. They are going in the right direction. Matt Beardsley, thank you so much for your report live from uh, the March for Life. And that's still going on, folks. And if you're still in that area, you know, there are other events that you can go to. And uh, and certainly we're going to talk about uh, Fast for Life uh, during today's show, all through today's show. Matt, thanks again. Joining us now is Mallory Carroll, who's Vice President of the Communications at Susan B. Anthony List. You can find them at sba-list.org. She's been with the organization since 2009 and gotten them placed in the New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, MSNBC, the New Yorker, and more. And on top of that, she's newly married. Mallory, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It it sounded like uh, one of those, how does she do it all? (laughs) Well, it is sort of one of those, how does she do it all, especially getting uh, getting Susan B. Anthony placed on MSNBC and and in the New Yorker. I mean, uh, honestly, I'm sort of doing the, you know, we're not worthy thing over here in my office. So, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And, and best wishes on your new marriage. I know you're not supposed to say Thank congratulations you. to the bride. You're supposed to say best wishes. So best Thank wishes you. to you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. It's, it's been a very exciting time. And I, I, at, I just actually got inside from the March for Life. It was a beautiful, beautiful crowd. It was so, you know, I was, I was at the smaller march last year. And uh, it's really exciting just to, to see pretty, like, it, it looked like the regular crowd to me. Um, you know, I'm not the National Park Service, but it looks like hundreds right. of thousands. And it was uh, really encouraging just to see so many students and families and beautiful creative signs and just people fired up to uh, support the pro-life cause. Well, Matt was telling us he thought it was going to be at least a couple hundred thousand people there uh, after looking at the crowd on the mall. So, yes, it looks like it's very successful and in part because abortion is not to not to contradict the media narrative too much but abortion isn't terribly popular according to a new Marist poll that was 
that was um, uh, commissioned by Susan B. Anthony List, uh, 71% of Americans want major limits on abortion. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you found out from this Marist polling. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it, it just tells us that in the face of um, you know, unprecedented pro-abortion radicalism from the Biden administration and the pro-abortion Democratic Party that Americans are more pro-life than ever and that our educational efforts in the pro-life movement have been working, that people increasingly understand just how radical the United States laws are in comparison to the rest of the world. And that is precisely because of Roe versus Wade that allows abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. 71%, according to this poll, poll, want significant restrictions on abortion, um, limiting it to, uh, if anything, only in the first trimester. And that half of all Democrats um, b- believe this also. So right. it's really remarkable to uh, to understand like just how pro-life the nation is um, and to combat the media lies about it. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of really interesting uh, parts to this. You talked about the um, the morning after pills, uh, the the mail order abortion pills. Sixty three percent of Americans, including 42 percent of Democrats, oppose the new federal rules that allow those to be sent through the mail without an in-person visit to a medical professional. Um, and, And that's because they are they do significant they make significant changes to your body. And it really does require at least even if you support that type of thing, you should support women being safe in, in, in accessing that. And it really should require uh, medical supervision. In fact, I don't know of, a, of an oral medication that you could take <laughs> that does this type of damage to the body that, isn't, that is somehow over-the-counter and doesn't have to be under a doctor's supervision to take. I mean, it's right. amazing. Right. Well, and for, you know, since it's been on the market, the abortion pill has had a black box warning. The FDA has said, you know, there are significant uh, safety regulations that need to accompany this drug precisely because it is so dangerous. It's obviously fatal to the life of the unborn child. And there are so many risks to women, hemorrhaging, loss of future fertility, sepsis, um, you know, ectopic, ruptured ectopic pregnancies. Um, and ER visits uh, have increased more than 500% since um, the early 2000s because of the increased proliferation of these chemical abortion drugs. And so it's really concerning to have abortion providers like Planned Parenthood pushing these drugs. They love it because they can still charge for abortion, but it's at like significantly reduced overhead costs, obviously, because they don't have to pay for an abortionist. They don't have to pay for the insurance. They don't have to pay for the lights on in the abortion facilities. They're actually, Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion business, is suing the state of South Dakota because the governor there put in place um, the strongest yet executive action to protect women from chemical abortion. So, you know, you have all these organizations that say that they're like standing up for the, the health and safety of women. And um, and really, they're just all about abortion. So it's 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 really concerning. We're speaking with Mallory Carroll, Vice President of Communications for uh, Susan B. Anthony List, sba-list.org. And I mean, these polls now, I think, become a lot more relevant 
uh, if and when the Supreme Court overturns Roe and sends these issues back to legislatures, either at the federal level or at the state level, probably a, a blend of both. Is I, I would imagine Congress is going to get involved. I would imagine every state legislature is going to be taking this up. Uh, if the Supreme Court, as it, as it is expected to do, uh, overturns Roe in the Dobbs case, and we probably won't know that until June. But I mean, previous polling, I think there was indirect, there was indirect value in that in terms of how politicians for, uh, formulated their messaging on abortion. At this point, though, you're starting to look at this, Mallory, and say, look, this is going, this, these are the parameters of a direct debate that will take place maybe in six months uh, in, in right. 50 state legislatures and in Congress. Yes, and it is so that's why it's important to have polls like this, because, you know, the justices are not in a vacuum. They're looking to see what uh, the changes in public opinion, you know, they're looking to see that consensus uh, is, you know, the will of the people is um, crying out to be reflected in the law. And so for the justices to see the public opinion polling on this and to see the efforts of state lawmakers, you know, 600 pro-life bills were introduced this past year alone. And that's a continuation of a trend for the last 10 years of just um, pro-life bill after pro-life bill being introduced at the state level. So the justices are seeing the polling, they're seeing lawmakers say, hey, this is our job, let us do it. And then they're, if they give us a pro-life decision in Dobbs in June, this will, you know, the most likely, if they uphold Mississippi's law, they're either going to significantly weaken or our hope is overturn Roe versus Wade. And that is going to, yes, multiply the battlefront by 51 because, you know, then we will have the right, state legislators will have the right, which belongs to them to carry out the will of the people, you know, in, in the legislative process. And there'll be a series of debates about consensus. You know, there's, there's about 20 states that have pro-life bills on the books, pre-Roe um, bans on abortion, right. 20 states uh, that are, you know, pretty pro-abortion, um, and, and 30 states where there's going to be like a really robust debate and where we have an opportunity to protect life. So it's it's going to be, um, you know, this is just representing like a transition to a, the next phase of the pro-life movement, which is going to be, frankly, I think harder and more, you know, but more impactful because we're going to be able to pass legislation that actually saves lives. That's what we've been thwarted um, and prevented from doing for 49 years simply because of Roe versus Wade. And when you think about the fact that, like, of course, we were not, we won't abandon the federal policy battle. Um, Think about the most significant piece uh, of legislation that's been passed since 1973 at the federal level, the partial birth abortion ban. That just bans a procedure. It doesn't say after a certain point, no, you can't do abortion. It doesn't say in these circumstances, no. It just says, you, here's how you can't kill babies. You have to find another way of killing them. So it's just, you know, we have, there's so much room for improvement, obviously, when it comes to the protection of the unborn here in the United States. And this is just the beginning. And Mallory, we got about 30 seconds left. I, I just want to ask you, you were there at the March. Did you get a sense that something was different this year at the March because of um, the pending decision in Dobbs? Yes. I mean, for me, it just, I got this overwhelming sensation as I was walking towards the court, you know, knowing the justices could be in there at this very moment, 
contemplating the case that could make next year the first year that we march for life without the shadow of Roe versus Wade hanging over our heads. And, you know, next year will certainly be different. So it's, there's, there's more enthusiasm. There's more hope than we've ever had. Obviously, it's the first real march since COVID, you know, spoiled things last year. Um, and it, it was really just like a new day. Well, Mallory Carroll, thank you so much for stopping by and talking about this Marist poll on the March for Life Day. You can find out more about Susan B. Anthony List at sba-list.org. When we come back, we'll be talking with Princess Kathleen de Habsburg-Lorraine regarding what's going on with abortion in Europe. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew. We'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. It's 30 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew, taking your calls at 888-914-9149 on this March for Life Day here, 2022, perhaps the last one that is looking forward to an overturning of Roe v. Wade rather than looking back on one. At least we're, we're praying for that. We're crossing our fingers. But... We're also doing more than just crossing our fingers. We're also doing the fast for life. So if you if you're part of this, you already know that to put out on social media hashtag fast for life, and uh, and uh, and so you go out there and do that. But you sign up at relevantradio.com/fast. Relevantradio.com/fast. We've got banners on the homepage. By the way, if you don't remember the dash fast, you're going to be able to still see it if you go to relevantradio.com or if you're on the Relevant Radio app, which is always a really great tool. And that gives you a chance to register and put, to to throw in with solidarity uh, to uh, uh, with with the other folks who are doing different specific fasts. I didn't sign up. I feel bad. I didn't sign up, but I did actually fast for my morning toast this morning, uh, very deliberately. Um, and so that was that was what I did, which is probably not much because a lot of people here are doing so many um, uh, so many great things. Uh, Dorothy from Illinois, cheerfulness and charity towards uh, towards a, a difficult um, a difficult relationship, um, and uh, Bobby from Orange, California, uh, taking care of grandkids instead of going out in a golf outing. Um, hey, that's both of those are blessings. You could even take the grandkids out on the golf outing. I, I don't know what the age of the grandkids are. Maybe it's maybe they're too young to to appreciate that. But but all of these things are just they're great ideas uh, just for little ways that we can all sacrifice. And um, uh, uh, be a part of this March for Life. Have solidarity with with the people who are out there uh, marching today uh, to let the Supreme Court know that they really should overturn Roe v. Wade. Joining us now to discuss what's going on with abortion in Europe, she'll be with us in just a moment. Um, uh, we'll we'll we're having just a little bit of technical difficulty. We're going to connect up with with her in just a moment. But um, the, the, the March for Life today, I think, um, is, is, it's got to be, I mean, it's got to be 
optimistic might be a little stressful too. I mean, anytime you have the, you're on the precipice of, of great change and which we hope we are, and we actually are, I think no matter what happens here, if the Supreme court doesn't overturn Roe v. Wade on this, on this uh, go around, I don't know that it ever will. And that means that we are all just going to have to redouble our efforts uh, to, to make abortion unthinkable rather than illegal. And that may just be a cultural fight that we're going to have anyway. Uh, that will that will be a cultural fight we're going to have no matter what. Uh, but I think that that is that will that would be obviously a, a a great disappointment to all of us. But it would just call us to even even greater efforts uh, to to move hearts uh, as well as minds. Um, but if we do manage to get the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court manages to overturn Roe v. Wade, then um, then I think that the um, uh, I, I think the, the situation changes for us in a couple of different ways. We already talked about this a little bit with Matt. We talked a little bit about it with Mallory, but I think we have to we have to talk about um, exactly what it is that we need to do, right? And I, I, if you want to dial in, we're still waiting to uh, get our guest on the line. If you want to dial in and talk about this, number is eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. You know, just because the Supreme court overturns Roe v. Wade doesn't make, um, it doesn't, that in itself does not make abortion illegal. In fact, all it does is just, uh, reopen this to, uh, legislative solutions. And I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how you got 20 states that have pro-life, um, laws on the books. You have other states that have very, uh, pro-abortion laws on the books. And the, the, the issue there is, is that those laws were mostly passed. There's a few that are still like legacy from pre-Roe, but most of those are mostly passed as sort of performance art politics, right? So with Roe in place, you could pass laws that do dramatically different things and, and leave them on the books, even if they're not enforceable. And if you don't enforce it, nobody has an opportunity to challenge it. So it just becomes sort of a statement law, a statement of principles. Uh, and that's true in both directions, right? In very liberal states, you know, abortion on demand would be a statement of principles. And if in very pro-life states, uh, uh, abortion bans would be uh, a statement of principles. But in with Roe v. Wade still active, you wouldn't be able to enforce the latter. So what's going to happen when Roe v. Wade is overturned, if and when Roe v. Wade is overturned, we're certainly hoping it will be. And if you if you listen to the arguments in Dobbs, it certainly sounds like it will be, or at least mostly uh, overturned. Um, what happens then is suddenly the elected officials who are in charge of legislating are going to be on the hook for whatever it is that is on the books. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of debate in the states and in Congress too. I mean, this is something that Congress is going to be able to take up um, if in, in the absence of Roe v. Wade or in the in the uh, vacating of Roe v. Wade. It's not just the state legislatures; it's also Congress. But the debate will become more meaningful, and the action will become more meaningful, meaning that there's going to be more um, seriousness, or at least. <laughs> To the extent that legislatures get serious at all, there will be more seriousness on this issue. And it will be a, an issue of whatever we do is going to wind up mattering uh, in a way that it hasn't in 50 years. And so that's where I think the pro-life movement is going to be able to 
fill in that gap, right? They're going to be able to fill in that gap and say, look, this is, we need to be able to set the parameters of this debate. We need to talk about the science behind uh, life beginning at conception. We need to, especially right now when everybody's saying, well, you got to follow the science here, you got to follow the science there. The pro-life community has done a great job of presenting the scientific argument for this and, and having it as, um, having it as fact. And it's a difficult, and it, that doesn't involve religion. It doesn't involve, it doesn't involve spiritual values. It is strictly a science issue. And then science and then a ph philosophical issue. If, if the, um, if life begins at conception, then what you do with that life matters in terms of what your philosophy is, uh, whether or not that everybody has a right to life, regardless of what the, the status of their age is. And now I think we are now going to be joined by Arch, uh, Archduchess Kathleen de Habsburg-Lorraine. She's the Advertising Sales Manager at Anglo Info Luxembourg. And before that, she served as Communication Director for American Life League and Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Arlington. And, uh, and Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Ed, and happy uh, March for Life Day. I'm really having a great time keeping up with all my friends, and my, my spirit is there with all you in, in Washington. Um, I, it, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting it's an interesting day. You know, I've had the, I've had the opportunity now to do a few of these March for Life days on Relevant Radio. It just happened to be that I'm guest hosting on on a few of these days over the last several years. And this one's different. I mean, it really does seem different. This is one where it may be the last time that we're looking at Roe v. Wade as an active, um, active court precedent. And and I think that that is, uh, I think that's got to make things a little bit, um, a little bit cheerier uh, and a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more optimistic. <laughs> that's true. It's, it's so exciting. I can't imagine. Uh, I would, would go every year when I lived in, in the United States to, to March for Life and to have marched. I think this is this is the, the time that we've been dreaming of for for many years. So many answered prayers. I know you're doing a, a, a campaign of fasting, and I love that. Uh, this this I think you're looking at the fruit of a lot of prayers and good works and yep. um, yeah. A lot of hard work. A lot of hard. A lot of hard work by 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 attorneys who are um, and and elected officials who are trying to do God's work and and absolutely. Uh, but let's take a look at what's going on in Europe. Now, this is something that um, you know the European the European paradigm on abortion is different. It's 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 different from America in really two different ways. One is I think it's probably less controversial, but it's also more restricted. And I don't think people understand that it's actually a little bit more restricted in Europe than it is mm -hmm. in the United States. Uh, but that may change. I mean, Emmanuel Macron wants, wants to um, amend the, uh, the e I believe if it's the EU charter, right? Or is it the EU statement on human rights? I'm not sure which it is that he wants to amend. Right. We've had a, um, this two, two big things happening this week um, at the EU level. The first is that we have a, uh, a new president of the European Parliament from Malta, uh, a woman, Roberta Metzola, who, is, um, who has been a, a voice for life in the past in Malta. Now she has, uh, in the last few days, come out and said in her new role as president that she would be um, upholding the European Parliament's uh, commitment to abortion, which is, which is quite sad. 
when you see politicians who are just uh, are submitting to this um, kind of the status quo when they could really be have an opportunity to be voices for life. Um, so that happened this weekend. At the same time, the, the uh, France, where we live, has taken the uh, leadership of the, the Council of the European Union. So they have every country takes, um, takes turns taking the leadership of the Council. Um, and right. in that capacity, President Emmanuel Macron uh, came and gave a, a speech um, really at the same moment that the, the, the new Maltese president had been really in the, in the media for supposedly being pro-life, which we've now found out is not the case. Um, and he has made it one of his missions in the next six months to change the, um, the, the Charter of Fundamental Human Rights to really enshrine abortion as a fundamental human right. And I was very shocked by this for a number of reasons, but one, because first by how um, blatant he was by saying, you know, sometimes in America, at least we, we very often are kind of this couched in other terminology, right? Like we want to, um, we're not going to be for abortion, we're going to be for women's rights, we're going to be for bodily autonomy. But he, but President Macron has just come out and said, we want abortion in this fundamental, in the, as a fundamental right of what it means to be a European. And that that for me is just is so shocking, especially because this document which was really inspired by Christian values, by, you know, when we talk about the European identity, that you can't separate or divorce that from our heritage as Christians and the rule of law that has developed over two millennia as a, as, uh, in this Judeo-Christian tradition. And so this document pulled from that, really relying on what's the basis of, of, all, of all human rights, the Ten Commandments. And it is, a, it is a, actually quite a beautiful document. And the first... The first right that is enshrined in this in this doctor document, this charter, is the right to life. So, for President Macron to say that we need to update this charter um, and enshrine abortion, not women's rights, just abortion, uh, in in this document is just really shocking. And I think, kind of, I hope will will allow people to see a bit more clearly. This isn't about you know such nice fluffy things as as women's rights and equality. This, for many people, is does kind of come down to to abortion and what that means. So all this came. We've actually had the March for Life in Paris on Sunday um, because they they have decriminalized abortion also around the same time that we did in America and in January as well. So every year the March for Life in Paris coincides a little bit with the March for Life in Washington D.C. But um, yeah, the, the fight is big here. It's true that we don't talk so much. We, we talk maybe in Europe less about abortion, but the, the fight is really strong um, and, and on many different levels. And it's, um, another thing that we're talking about here a lot is that uh, more and more around Europe, we are no longer allowed to be advocates for the preborn, whether that means on the street in Spain, they're trying to... Um, to prohibit pro-lifers from being on the streets and actively witnessing uh, for life or talking to women going and getting abortions or protesting. Uh, we see that in many Scandinavian countries, too, and in France, where uh, pro-life speech is, is strictly, pro- or not prohibited, but strictly um, controlled, even on the Internet. So I think this is important not only for Europeans, but also for Americans, because we know that kind of what happens in Europe will come to America sooner or later. Um, right. And it's, it's 
yeah, this is this this new reality that we're witnessing of um, kind of a, a we're we're seeing a lot of the uh, the the real theory that, or the real values um, of the of the left and of the pro-abortion lobby come come to the fore. That for them, it's it really is all about abortion. So. Uh, yep. Keeping it is—it's important, I think, also for your listeners to know what's happening in Europe for that as well, because what what happens here will be will be in America very soon. Well, I, I think that the, absolutely true. And again, we're speaking with Archduchess Kathleen de Habsburg Lorraine, and uh, taking your calls at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We're going to go to a break here, real quick. When we come back, though, I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, you mentioned that the European uh, Charter has um, a protection um, a protection for life. I want to talk about how how that was expressed in EU law and why it contradicts exactly what Macron is trying to do now and how it also relates to a couple of other issues of life in Europe and what might be coming to the United States. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew Mariani. We'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's 49 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew and speaking right now with Archduchess Kathleen de Habsburg-Lorraine regarding the abortion and life issues in Europe, and especially in the EU. And and we just got done talking about how uh, Emmanuel Macron wants to uh, add a specific uh, line to the EU Charter on Human Rights to 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 certify a right to abortion right next to a, apparently the right to life um now the right to life in the eu uh, in this eu charter was really designed to prevent states from having a death penalty and that is that certainly was an effective argument but that's about the only context in which this in which this right has has been applied Kathleen because euthanasia is is spreading through uh, throughout the EU block uh, you have a number of um, states there now where uh, euthanasia is not limited uh, to you know terminal illness as was originally proposed but uh, mm-hmm. is now available almost on demand and uh, and you have um, I think the Netherlands children. and even for children mm-hmm. yeah it's it's amazing and uh, only in the sense of the death penalty has this um, charter for the right to life been applied. Is there any debate in in Europe over this and the EU Parliament over over the contradiction here, the hypocrisy of that? Well, this the, this charter and, and indeed the European Union um, as a whole has kind of limited capacity to, to dictate to member countries um, what they can and can't do. So that's where you see these big debates coming out, for instance, Poland, uh, which has very strong pro-life laws on the books, Malta as well. Um, You see big frictions within the European union and the majority countries kind of trying to impose their will on 
um, on some of these pro, more pro-life countries. And that's, that's causing big, big debates and big tensions um, and different power plays um, on uh, on these stages as well in the last year. Um, but you're right that it, it is. It's just I'm looking at the, this charter right now, and it's a, you know Article Two, Article One, Human Dignity, Article Two, the Right to Life. Everyone has the right to life, and you're right, uh, Article Two, Part Two, no one shall be condemned to the death penalty or executed. Um, but what is abortion? It's the death penalty for the innocent. So um, it's just it's amazing that this 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 document remains uh, one of the primary sources for the European Union, and yet. Uh, and it is an inspiring document, but how we are capable of just ignoring reality and ignoring our our own um, our own foundations, our own traditions, our own, our own history as as a Christian people um, to enshrine abortion abortion rates uh, in Europe are 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 going up. We have, um, as we know, birth rates are going very are, are going down in a very dramatic way as well. Right. Um, and lots of other different attempts on um, on life, whether that's euthanasia, uh, the various um, various scientific practices that are coming to the front, uh, you know, fertility questions. Uh, the the debate on surrogacy continues to rear up uh, uh, in vitro fertilization and and of course contraception. So this, these things are <laughs> the the fight is 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 raging here um and not only at the eu level but each each individual country and we need lots of prayers oh yes well i think i think the entire west needs lots of prayers these days on this particular point i am i am curious though i mean with with the with the supreme court here in the united states debating this issue and um the the fate of roe v wade apparently in the balance for the for really for the first time in 31 years since since Planned Parenthood v. Casey um, has there been a lot of discussion of this in Europe a lot of reflection on on the debate that's going on over here uh, I'm curious as to how Europeans see the American the current American system where abortion on demand is is almost the rule here, which I believe, and I could be wrong about this. If I am wrong, you know, feel free to correct me. I believe that that's not really the case in Europe, that it's more limited there. Uh, has there been a lot of debate about what's going on in America right now, or is it, or is it really just not relevant to what uh, Europe is discussing on, on life issues? Well, you're, you're, very, you're absolutely right in that most European countries have abortion laws that are stricter than, uh, than what we have in the United States. Um, I think pro-lifers in, in Europe are often looking towards America for inspiration, seen as, you know, we see wonderful things out, whether it's the March for Life and just the sheer number of people who participate, um, the the action and the activism that happens at the state level, uh, and the amount of people who are still passionate about life, about defending human life. It seems, it gives a lot, it gives you a sense hope to, to look across the pond and see what we're doing. I'm not sure they really realize sometimes that, that American abortion laws are so liberal. Um, it's, but it's true that in America, the fight is still, we're, we're able to have this debate in the public sphere, where in Europe, it's, it's very often uh, a taboo topic that we're not allowed to talk about, even within Christian communities. 
Um, we live in the Geneva area, and, and I run um, a group called Ensemble pour la Vie, which means Together for Life. One of the projects that we do every year is uh, the four, is, uh, 40 Days for Life, Ensemble pour la Vie in French. And it's, uh, it's amazing how difficult it is to get Christians uh, and, and pastors and priests involved because they're so afraid of talking about abortion. And what I try to tell them is, you know, this this topic is absolutely touching many people in your congregations. Many people are suffering um, who are under your spiritual care, and we can't ignore it. I know it's, it's difficult to talk about, but the topic is just so taboo here, and it's difficult to get to get through that. And France, I think France has a lot in common with the United States, where you can still have debates, you can still get people to march for life, you can still uh, have some sort of activism, but in many parts of Europe, we lived, we lived uh, a long time in Luxembourg, in the Benelux countries, it is so difficult just to talk, talk about this topic. So many people have been touched by abortion. It's true that uh, abortion in America you can have up until birth, and in most European countries that's not the case. However, many, many, many people um, are having early, uh, early abortions that they're, it's everyone is so afraid to talk about it and it's so very sad um and this is one of the biggest things that that we're fighting is just to break this taboo it's interesting too because i know that there are american catholics that wish that there would be more focus on this from the vatican but you know pope Mm -hmm. francis talks about this quite a bit (laughs) i mean he does he does talk about abortion (laughs) he does talk about life issues and i think maybe people miss that context in that in that there is just there is, it's not like in the United States. So there's, there's misunderstandings going both directions. It's not like it is in the United States. People don't talk about these things. And pressing that issue, um, Pope Francis talking about it as often as he does, is really pressing that issue and trying to open that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very grateful for, for all of the, the, every single time that he does, because we can we can also use that to show priests who are really in the trenches. And I can understand where it, it's such a sensitive topic um, for many people, but that's even, even more reason that we need to, we need to develop the vocabulary and the words to, to get in front of these people on a really local level, um, which is one of the reasons I love the 40 days for life campaign. And I'm hoping that it takes off more and more here in Europe um, because uh, I think it has such a beautiful way of um, uniting everyone of goodwill through prayer and fasting and public witness. Where can people uh, go to find out more about that, um, Kathleen? I think if they just Google 40 Days for Life, uh, they have a really wonderful site, and I'm sure that they were quite active today uh, in Washington as well. And, and of course, um, praying for the the pro-life folks in Europe as well. Please, please, yes. <laughs> well, we, need uh, we absolutely we need it over here too, and we really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Speaking with Archduchess uh, Kathleen de Habsburg Lorraine, advertising sales manager at An- Anglo Info Luxembourg, and thank you so much for your time today, and thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Coming up next is the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and I am Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew Mariani. We'll be right back. <laughs> 